Hi again, this is Randy, and we have a date for our official Patreon launch. Saturday, April 16th, we will be doing an Instagram Live launch party. Mark your calendars for Saturday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and come and join us for some Q&A, drawings, and just a fun, creepy party to celebrate. Of course, if you don't want the party to end, you will be able to take the fun over to Patreon, where you'll find multiple subscription options ranging from $5 to $25. We appreciate the continued support and are so excited to guide you through even more cemetery wanderings. See you Saturday. Today I bring you a story that will make your jaws drop. A horror that happened to a cemetery. Not in a cemetery like a spooky ghost story, but actually to the cemetery. The land that was taken by a cemetery in Philadelphia was needed by Temple University for parking. So they bought it and they moved it. Happens all the time. But the story you won't believe. Where did the headstones end up? Not over the graves of the dead that they moved, but down by the river near the Betsy Ross Bridge. Today I interview Ed Snyder, photographer, artist, and blogger, to name a few things. He dug into the truth of the cemetery moving, and we have a beautiful discussion about respect of our dead, what lies beneath the removal of Monument Cemetery. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. I have Ed Snyder. Ed Snyder, troublemaker. <laughs> Perfect. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm actually a uh, um, a uh, clinical engineer uh, by profession. I work at a university uh, hospital. Oh. So um, what I've what I've been doing over the last uh, well since about 2011 is I, I've been involved with uh, certain cemeteries that um, have been. Um, uh, in the process of being restored, uh, maybe not totally abandoned, some totally abandoned, and uh, helping to uh, yeah. helping to uh, correct the situations uh, to to some degree. And um, as as an artist photographer, I I write the Cemetery Traveler blog. Okay. Um, for my job, I I travel uh, a lot. Or, Around the uh, around the U.S., so I've uh, I've visited a lot of uh, cemeteries. I have a I have a special interest in abandoned cemeteries, mainly because uh, I, I early on I could not understand how a cemetery becomes abandoned. Right. And somewhere along the line, probably about a dozen years ago, I I came across um, a book by Tom Keels um, about Philadelphia graveyards. He's a uh, Philadelphia historian. So Tom uh, wrote a book, and the, the last chapter uh, had to do with uh, cemeteries that were no longer there in the Philadelphia area, and Monument Cemetery was one of those. And it, it intrigued me because, um, number one, I, I, I never really thought about why cemeteries disappear or get abandoned or go out of business. Right. And and he had, he had uh, some vintage... Uh, photographs uh, of the cemetery when it was being uh, demolished uh, and what it looked like back in the uh, late 1800s. And he said something that really piqued my curiosity. He said the gravestones were dumped in the Delaware River where they can still be seen today and under the Betsy Ross Bridge on the shoreline. Uh, Of course, I I had to see that. (laughs) I would too. Well, yeah, but it's not. It, it wasn't so obvious how, how you know how you get to that uh, area, and so Tom was very 
uh, very kind and offered me uh, directions and advice. Uh, the uh, both were uh, pretty important. Um, uh, the advice was uh, to be careful um, because it was kind of like no, no man's land uh, through about two city blocks length of uh, woods where ne'er-do-wells uh, hung out. And um, I, oh, wow. I, I have done quite a bit of abandoned exploration and photography over the years. So um, I, I went to the riverfront and, and saw the uh, the gravestones and uh, um, the, the nearest I could explain what that's like is uh, if anyone knows what the Stendhal syndrome is, I think it's S-T-E-N-D-H-A-L. It's it's not a, a mental illness, but it's a uh, um, it's, it's some sort of psychiatric term that you are just transfixed when you see something and you can really not do anything else. You just stand there and you stare at it. Um, and it's actually a, a malady, a psychiatric malady. Yeah. You're just gaping. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it was like standing there, um, really climbing down off this embankment of, of gravestones and getting to the river and turning around and just seeing these things jutting out of the, of the ground and scattered all along wow. the, the riverfront. Um, and, it, it, you know, gravestones just mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, some people just say, you know, it's a stone, you know, what's the big deal? Um, but they really symbolize a lot more than that to a lot more people. And a lot of it is, you know, there's some subconscious thing going on, you know, that we can't really, you know, understand why we feel a certain way. You know, maybe uh, there really is no feeling to adequately describe that. You know, gravestones symbolize, you know, a person that's no longer here. And that means a lot to a lot of people. And just seeing these names uh, and dates and inscriptions on all these stones uh, was, was fascinating. Right. It's the one place that someone can go to that person. It's their memorial. You know, their one place on earth that is reserved to them and to remember them and it has their name and I just feel the same way that you do. It's really important. A lot of times, um, you know, we can't really, you know, understand, I guess, why we or other people, you know, have, have these feelings um, about um, gravestones. Um, a lot of work has been done, uh, a lot of scholarly papers have been written in markers, the uh, the journal of the uh, Association of Gravestone Studies on, on on just this thing, you know, why why gravestones mean so much, um, why that what they represent to people. So uh, that was kind of the tip of the iceberg for me, and I wrote a couple blogs um, on my Cemetery Traveler site, and uh, I was just flooded with hundreds of comments and emails, and I, I posted three blogs. I'd been down wow. to the riverfront at that point three times. Um, and I, the comments just ran the gamut of, oh my God, my, you know, great, great grandparents were buried there and there's no trace of them now. Did you see this name on any stone? Oh. Ranging from these really kind of tearful pleas to, uh, you know, people that would just say, you know, it's a big deal. They were just dumped in the river. They're just stones. You know, what's what is the big deal? Um, that, that's why I originally said that. I guess I see part of my role as a troublemaker. Attention to with Mount Moriah. Some of the, before I became board member, uh, I did a lot of exploration there. I wrote a few blogs about that, and really upset a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, and ultimately, I, I think it was beneficial, and I would do the same. Same thing over again. I've, I've grown to know and love these people that I originally upset, uh, friends, neighbors. But, you know, if, if somebody doesn't say anything, if you just let it go, um, then nothing good ever comes of that. I've always felt that way. I agree. This audience is going 
to be very on the one side of things as far as that they are important monuments, right? Not just stones dumped in the river. So you're, you've got the sympathetic audience here today. Okay, that, that's good. I, you know, I, I do understand that, you know, um, cities had to grow. Um, and, you know, back in the, the early to mid 1900s, there was a lot of this. And it, you know, it, it just, it just, you know, was, was not planned really well. So when, for instance, when Monument Cemetery was established in 1837, um, that was a rural cemetery. That was a mile and a half uh, from the center of Philadelphia uh, through the woods. Uh, wow. Marl Hill Cemetery, which was a couple miles further, um, there were no roads. You had to take a riverboat to get to the cemetery. These were out in the sticks. And um, it was, a, it was a, a rural cemetery, and nobody really expected the city to grow. And in fact, um, the city of Philadelphia encroached upon um, Monument Cemetery only about 10 years after it was established. So the city was growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and and there, were, there were a lot of things that, that happened that, that should have been done better with Monument Cemetery. That was a, a situation where the, the land became incredibly valuable to Temple University. Um, which was establishing itself as a, a commuter school, and they desperately needed parking in order for them to grow. What was in the way was um, the cemetery, which had about 10 acres of, of prime parking area directly across the street from Conwell Hall, which is where I used to go to pay my daughter's tuition when she was a student at Temple University. <laughs> And I, I never, all those years, I would walk in there with my tuition payments. I had no idea that the wall directly across the street was the original wall of Monument Cemetery. Um, they, uh, they, they tore the cemetery out, but wow. the wall remains for some bizarre reason. Oh, wow. So there was the cemetery that had been established there. The university decides they need this room for parking. So they move the bodies, right? Whenever you see that term, um, everybody assumes that it was a 100% clean job. Um, and they, they, they never always get all the bodies. Um, but they made, they made an attempt. And in fact, uh, Temple had been trying to buy the cemetery for about 30 years, uh, off and on, prior to 1955 when they, when they acquired it. Um, but uh, the owners of Monument Cemetery would never sell. And, and, it, and it turned out that um, what happened with Monument Cemetery is something that happens with a lot of cemeteries is they get filled up and there's no more room for additional burials. So the income stops. So there really was barely enough money to keep the grass cut and the place started looking dilapidated. And Temple saw it as an opportunity. This is my this is my opinion. Um, you you can look things up in newspaper articles. The uh, Pennsylvania Historical Society, the Athenaeum of Philadelphia. These are all good resources. The Library Company of Philadelphia. So whatever sketchy material is is available, uh, you would never you would never get any of this from Temple University itself. Okay. I've tried. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. So what, what happened was um, Temple saw this, in my opinion, as, a, uh, as uh, an opportunity. So the cemetery was dilapidated. So they got a lot of people to complain to the city government that the cemetery was not only an eyesore, but it was dangerous uh, for people to be around. Um, there were criminals and uh, what, whatever, you know, um, who, who knows what was really going on. But what, what happened was the city then condemned it. And I think, um, although I, I can't really find any uh, actual record of this, but um, they probably took the property with uh, the eminent domain um, legal auction, which means that um, a, a governing body can take your property and give you what they feel is compensation that is fair. 
um, and as long as they build something for the public uh, in its place. This this actually happened to my grandmother's house back in uh, oh maybe 1974 or something like that. Um, so they give you a, you know an amount of money and you have no choice. You take it or leave it. And she had to move, and they tore her house down and built a uh, ball field. Oh no! Um, so the the idea with um, what happened with Temple is the city condemned the cemetery. The cemetery was uh, removed, and uh, they got the property for about. <clears throat> so they paid a quarter million dollars uh, to um, to the owners um, of the property uh, for for that land. So it, it became Temple's property, and uh, once all the bodies were taken to uh, Rockledge, uh, which is a northeast suburb of Philadelphia, Lawnview Cemetery, uh, they built an athletic field and a parking lot uh, on the ground. Oh, wow. And they didn't move the markers. Well, I can't really... There doesn't seem to be any any written documentation on what was plan for the markers or what should happen to the markers. And there was a huge uh, 70 foot high obelisk in the center. That's why they, they changed the name originally from Père Lachaise to um, Monument Cemetery <clears throat> when this giant monument to Washington and Lafayette was uh, erected in the center of the cemetery. So, so there was an enormous Gothic gatehouse um, on Broad Street. There was a, a huge monument in the center, and then there were smaller mausoleums and monuments and tombstones, and you know, ranging in size. There were 28,000 burials there. It was about 14 acres, and the the plan was to move uh, the bodies to Lawnview Cemetery, and not any of the uh, grave markers. So, so uh, when I when I gave my my presentation at the uh, uh, for the, uh, an audience at the uh, Athenaeum of Philadelphia last year, um, somebody pointed out to me that uh, one of the photographs that I use, one of the historical photographs, shows a lot of marble um, tombstones and grave markers, and the person asked me if uh, how much of that is on the riverfront, and. I realized at that point they only moved the granite because granite is a very is a much stronger stone than marble. So um, the only things you see uh, down at the riverside uh, are granite markers and monuments and coping, which makes sense. And then uh, then um, there was a I got an eyewitness account from a person. Um, a couple of years ago, who was a student at Temple in 1956, and he said, you know, all those newspaper articles that that say, you know, with 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 care the bodies were excavated and moved, that was all BS. <laughs> because Ooh, wow, he said, I remember the cranes pulling out coffins, wooden coffins, and <clears throat> the bodies falling out, and the workers just smashing up all the uh, marble headstones. And with with uh, sledgehammers, and and then I thought, well, that yeah, that makes sense because you wouldn't want marble, you know, as your foundation material to build the Betsy Ross Bridge on top of something stronger. Oh. Um, so there's a there's a really interesting photograph um, at, in the Temple University archives that shows uh, a crane lifting of a concrete vault um, out of the cemetery. And it's really unusual because probably very few of those 28,000 burials were done in a concrete vault because concrete vaults were only, they only started to be used, yeah, like in the 1930s. Um, and also, um, they didn't start using wood, uh, metal coffins till the 1950s. So all of the bodies, all of the remains that were excavated were in wooden coffins. And, and the fact that it only took them five months and 25 workers to get all, all, get all these bodies out. Uh, 28,000? Yeah. <laughs> catalog them, um, 
and move them to another cemetery and have them in specific graves and catalogs where everybody knew where everybody went. That yeah. is really, that is really far-fetched. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Oh, that's heartbreaking. So if you, if you go to Longview Cemetery and you're standing in this area, that's about the size of two football fields. As there's a sign that says Susquehanna Lawn. And you look at it, you see a ripple in the landscape where it obviously looks like trenches were dug and bodies, you know, were just, you know, buried like a mass grave. Um, they will tell you that's not the case. It, it, it kind of, you know, stares you right in the face. And, and when you think about um, how they excavated um, the cemetery, um, they did it. They did it in the summer. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a cemetery that was being unearthed. Oh no! But I have not. <laughs> the smell is not pleasant. Yeah. So I can only imagine what this must have been like for people that lived around there and the students that that went to the school. Um, so so after after all was said and done. The uh, the gravestones were were dumped in the river, um, and which was which was good timing because the uh, the Betsy Ross Bridge started the planning for that started that very same year in 1956, and uh, by 1976 the bridge was opened. It was built over the next 20 years, and if you um, if you take a boat down under the bridge or if you walk through the woods to get to the river like you did yes <laughs> you you will see these gravestones and um you know granite does not fade like people's memories and when you see these polished with the rising tide and the falling tide they look brand new they look like they were just carved well i have to say that the photos that you took and have shared on your instagram is what made me reach out to you because I was like, okay, I have to know the story. What happened here? You know, it's easy to be judgmental about, you know, why something like this, you know, would have happened or could have happened. And maybe, you know, uh, one way to look at it is, you know, certainly because the cemetery was moved, uh, temple was able to grow which was good for the city it happens in cities and towns all over the world it has been part of history and the question has always been what do we do with our dead and what do we do with the dead that have lain here for hundreds of years it's a difficult question yeah, it's, you know, obviously it benefited the city, this particular decision, but, you know, at what cost? And, yeah. you know, could could something like this happen today? Well, things like this do happen today, but they do. We, yeah. we, we care more and, you know, people get involved and um, like the situation that happened at uh, in Philadelphia in 2017 at 3rd and arch when they were building a um, they were digging the foundation to build a new high-rise condo complex and um, bones and coffins started flying up out of the ground and, and so so that that dig was stopped and it turned out that the they were digging on the the grounds of the uh, first baptist church of philadelphia um had it it had a graveyard which was supposedly moved in 1860 and they stopped the excavation and archaeologists from Rutgers University were called in and they over the course of a week maybe they excavated over 500 bodies fully intact in coffins oh no and so there was a lot of uh, news coverage for this um, and, you know, people had the same questions like, uh, you know, how could this happen? Why did this happen? And then, and then everybody realized, you know, if a contractor had this happen to them, are there any laws that govern what's supposed to happen? And there are not. The more that we keep these things like in the public, you know, consciousness, you know, the, the, the more 
you know, we can think about them clearly and plan for the future. And, you know, maybe if we move that cemetery down the road, you know, a lot more care will be taken, um, which, which did happen. In fact, the Greenwood Cemetery in Philadelphia, probably about, um, I'm thinking, eight to 10 years ago, there's a, a hospital that wanted a part of the land for uh, to expand its parking lot. So what they did was they negotiated with the cemetery to buy the land, move the graves to another portion of the cemetery. Uh, they don't, they paid for all this, the hospital paid for all this and they donated like a million dollars to restore the gatehouse, which was Dr. Benjamin Rush's original estate home. Oh, wow. That is cool. One of the people who worked at the cemetery in the office, um, her great-grandmother was one of those graves that was moved. Aww. So she had firsthand experience and was obviously very emotionally tied to, you know, how this could be done, how this would be done. You know, so there are careful ways of doing things like this. You know, just to remember this sort of thing in the future, um, there was another cemetery, Lafayette Cemetery, which is also in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. where um, the situation was even worse than Monument because uh, the city paid a company to move 47,000 graves and clear out the cemetery. Nobody knows what happened to the tombstones and monuments there. Um, but this is in South Philly, um, where Pat's and Gino's cheesesteak, uh, emporiums are. <laughs> there's a, there's a big ball field, uh, Palumbo, uh, recreational center. Um, and that's, that's where Lafayette Cemetery was. So the city wanted the land so desperately that they paid a contractor to move all the bodies and did not ask where he would put them. Just move them. And so years later, when the first uh, bulldozer plowed into the ground to build the Neshaminy Mall in northeast Philadelphia, they found out where he put all those bodies. You know, so there things like that happened. And, and I think it does. It does. And I think it makes sense to, you know, not forget that. Um, and and you mentioned um, early on the. Uh, restoration um, that I'm involved with now, Mount Vernon Cemetery in Philadelphia. Um, so that's overgrown and that's that's a mess, just like Monument Cemetery was. But this would never happen there because the land is not worth anything. Nobody wants to build anything there. The situation with Monument was was a lot different because the land was extremely valuable and people did what they needed to do to get that land. And, you know, you can, you can go to Lawnview Cemetery and you can, um, you could visit that area and they have record books of the bodies that were probably moved there. And they'll, they'll even take you out on the, on the grounds and show you, you know, exactly the spot where your, you know, great, great grandfather is buried. Um, but, you know, who's, who's to say that that's accurate? Right. And how sad that they didn't even try to move some of the monuments and the markers, the headstones. Probably what happened with some of those was um, when it was announced that the bodies had to be moved, um, the public announcement went out to families who had ancestors buried there. And if a family wanted to and had the money they could hire a private contractor to move that grave with or without the headstone, whatever they wanted. So um, as many as 5,000 burials were moved that way. Oh. I know, I know at least one of them, probably a, a lot more, went to Mount Vernon Cemetery because I saw that in one of the record books. But for the most part, um, you know, the probably 20,000 burials, you know, people received notices in the, in the mail that said, 
you know, the cemetery has to be moved, um, you could either pay to move your ancestors yourself or we'll move them for you along with the other 20,000 people. So I, I think I think most people probably did not have the money, didn't have the wherewithal to do that and just, you know, had, had to go along with it. Right. Uh, so I think that's what a lot of people did. That is crazy. <laughs> And, and I think that a lot of a lot of times uh, people see this as a as a new topic, something they've never heard of before. Certainly, when I advertise like an upcoming talk, I get new uh, people seeing these social media posts and asking some of the same questions. Um, and and I think it's good that that people learn about this. Um, and I always get I always get some new information, um, which is which is one of the other reasons I continue to do this. Uh, I update the talk, the presentation every time I give it with new research and also with uh, new information that I get from people like eyewitnesses. I would have never expected I would find eyewitnesses to the destruction of the cemetery. Right. Yeah, one of the one of the people that uh, attended one of my lectures uh, within the last couple of years said, well, since that wall, that retaining wall is still on the temple campus, uh, maybe, you know, we should get like a bronze plaque, take up a collection and get a plaque installed on the wall, like commemorating this historic cemetery that used to be there. Oh, I love that. And it had all kinds of history associated with it. It was the second Victorian Garden Cemetery that was established in Philadelphia right after Laurel Hill a year later. Um, and Laurel Hill was the second in the nation. Mount Auburn was the first uh, garden cemetery. Um, and there was a lot of history. Uh, John Sartain, uh, who people don't even know who he is at this point. If you live in Philadelphia, you'll probably, you probably have seen Sartain Street that runs north and south through the city, past Monument Cemetery. Um, and he was, uh, he was a Renaissance man. He was an architect, a designer, a publisher um, in Philadelphia. And he was one of the first people that um, published um, Edgar Allan Poe's work when Poe lived in Philadelphia. He was a big fan of Poe and helped him to attain, you know, the uh, the notoriety that he achieved. Sartain uh, actually designed the central monument that was erected in Monument Cemetery and the and the uh, the Gothic gatehouse, which I would suggest, you know, people look online to see photographs. Well, there are photographs, but there's also lithographs of the gatehouse. Absolutely amazing, gorgeous. And the city demolished it um, to put a road right through the center of the cemetery. Um, I forget when that was, in the 1920s or something. Um, but, you know, it's, it's history that, you know, is, is a part of um, all of our background. And like you said, this, you know, the, the moving of the cemeteries happened all over the nation. Certainly the most amazing example is San Francisco, where... Um, I forget what year that was, I think 1912, when they, they outlawed cemeteries and said, well, no longer can any uh, bodies be buried within the city limits, but all those, you know, those 150,000 graves that are now buried in cemeteries in San Francisco, they're evicted. They're out of here. <laughs> so they moved, they moved every cemetery to Colma, south of San Francisco, and now that is just, you know, a city with millions of graves. There's more dead people than living people in that town. But, you know, a similar situation in San Francisco when the tide goes in and out in San Francisco Bay. Guess what they see on the shoreline? Gravestones. Oh, uh, yep. wow. Yeah. Should they have pulverized the stones and just ground them up into gravel, you know, and just totally eradicated the, um, you know, the physical evidence, you know, maybe that would have been better. I don't really know. I, I feel strongly both ways.
I guess one of the things that I'd like to add is that there's a, a psychic in Philadelphia, Valerie Morrison, who saw some of the uh, blogs that I did and uh, contacted me um, back around, I guess, 2015 and um, got news crews down to the riverfront and got this on ABC News. And uh, she and her crew, they started a campaign where they wanted to try to gather up all the gravestones and move them to more appropriate locations like Longview Cemetery. That didn't happen, but what, what she ended up doing was uh, researching the history of all the people whose names are inscribed on these stones that are face up or sticking out of the ground and just publishing page after page of you know this this guy was a sea captain and this woman was a single mom and lived with her five children on this street and and it just went on and on if you go on her website you'll see all this information that her people gathered and it just you know it kind of smacks you right in the face like you know, all these people were alive at one point. They're just, they were just like us. You know, these are not just stones. This is evidence of people's existence. Yes. And, um, and, and we should really treat them with more respect, I believe, than we did. Yes, exactly. And that's my podcast right there in a nutshell is each person that has lived has lived this important life and Sometimes they're famous people and names that people recognize. And sometimes, yeah, they're just a single mom with five kids trying to make it work. But she's just as important and it should be remembered. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, you know, learning to be respect, more respectful of the dead, you know, should help us to be more respectful of the living of ourselves. Right. There's a cemetery that I found here in Flagstaff, Arizona, that I didn't realize even existed until a few years ago. And I went out there to take a look at it and it is completely abandoned. It was a private cemetery and once the man got older and moved and passed away, it just went into disrepair. It became the property of his heirs and and theirs and theirs and so it's owned by all of these people who don't want to put any money into it. Our city doesn't want to buy it because it's in a floodplain and it would take tons of money to fix and I went and uncovered lots of memorial stones just under a foot of dirt and it's just a field with a bunch of groundhog holes and gopher holes and it just really was it was just really heartbreaking and it's like how do you even go about helping you know what what do you do with this how do we just leave that you know the way it is well it's a rough situation for someone who cares it's a rough situation yeah just think about that <laughs> yeah exactly but if it's if it's prime real estate, you know, it's a, it's a whole different story. People have people find ways of, you know, you know, getting what they want, you know, when the almighty dollar right. is, uh, you know, speaking the, the main language. Right. And unlike the Monument Cemetery, this is just out on the edge of town next to this cute little subdivision and it's in a floodplain. No one wants to fix it or, or help. And it really bothers me. And I wish that there was something that could be done there, but I don't know what. You know, it's interesting. Um, a, a lot of times when I see situations like that, you don't have to have the whole, you know, all the answers, you know, at the beginning, um, just, just writing a newspaper article or a blog or something like that uh, and publicizing the situation might get people, other people, thinking about more creative ways of saving it or uh, restoring it or moving it or fencing it off or caring for it or something like that. And in retrospect, you know, I, I like I said, I, I see myself as a troublemaker, you know, bringing to the public's attention certain things 
Um, and I, I don't have all the answers. Certainly when I was exploring Mount Moriah Cemetery back in the early 2000s, um, I, I really had no idea what was going on or, or had any idea that I would be on the board of directors eventually helping to save this place from disappearing. Um, you know, I just started publishing blogs and writing and taking pictures of, of this. And, and like I said earlier, you know, it, it got enough people upset, including the Philadelphia city government, that people stepped up and, and, and eventually did something positive about it. And, you know, you work with a group of people, usually people that are smarter than you, that have more experience with whatever history, horticulture, architecture, mm -hmm. planning, you name it, you know, and you get a good group of people together and you find solutions. But um, yeah, I would suggest if anybody, you know, is in a situation like that and sees something they don't feel is right and doesn't really know what to do about it, you know, start some grassroots effort and something good might just happen. So what you're saying, Ed, is I I need to become a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> within, within the limits of the law, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Always. Well, that is just really fascinating. And have you done any research on the people that you have seen, their markers? It's an interesting question. I I did look up a lot of the, the names on the stones and, and pretty much nothing exists. Uh, I have been to the uh, Pennsylvania Historical Society and looked at the ledger books of the uh, burials from Monument Cemetery. And, and uh -huh. you know, basically you just see the name date, you know, the deceased, not, not much more than that. Um, I honestly don't know where Valerie Morrison got all of her information. She, her, she and her people obviously did a ton of research. The little that I felt I was able to do um, when people started commenting on my photographs was, well, you've got all these photographs of tombstones with their engravings showing names and dates. Maybe these should be on the Find a Grave website. So if you look on Find a Grave, you can look up information on people based on their names, their birth and death dates, the cemeteries they're buried, that sort of thing. And typically there will always be a photograph of the headstone. Oh, yeah. And I, I did end up finding, because somebody transcribed some of this information from the burial ledgers to Find a Grave, uh, some of these people, but there were no photographs. So I went back uh, probably the last uh, trip to the to the waterfront and I took some scrubbing brushes and cleaning materials. And so I transcribed uh, as much information as I could off maybe about 30 stones that had full names and dates. And I added those all to the Find a Grave uh, websites where they're maybe where the, the entries for the person was not there, or uh, if, if the entry was there but no photograph, I, I posted uh, my photograph of the headstone. Um, people had said, well, this would help with descendant you know, genealogy research and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I believe it has. That's really wonderful. Thanks so much for doing that. Oh, my pleasure. It was, um, it felt like, you know, the, I really couldn't do any more than that, but, yeah. um, it, if you're standing at the riverfront and you're looking at this embankment of stones, or you're looking at the embankment, it's really a jetty that extends probably, I would say a quarter of a mile from the mainland, which kind of flanks the, uh, uh, the southern side of Betsy Ross Bridge. This jetty may just be made entirely of gravestones. Oh my word! Because when you when you climb down the front of it to the waterfront, you're climbing down about twelve feet of embankment, and your footholds are the gravestones that are sticking out of the dirt. So there could be thousands of them there and, you know, with names on them that nobody will ever see again, which is, uh, which is heartbreaking. 
It is. And it just feels almost like sacrilegious or, oh, it just feels so wrong because it's how I feel about a cemetery and those memorials. Well, you know, it's what you just said reminded me of something. Um, I submitted a, uh, a peer-reviewed paper uh, on the history of Monument Cemetery to uh, Association of Gravestone Studies. And uh, there's a there's a quote from uh, someone who had published a paper in 2019 called uh, Personhood and Agency, a theoretical approach to grave markers in 20th century mainstream American cemeteries. If I could, it's a paragraph. It's only about five sentences. Yes, please. It's well written. It's probably better written than I could have done. Uh, so I really appreciate um uh, the author is an S dot, S-T-O-T-T. And she says, gravestones are created for the specific purpose of carrying an individual's identity. So people often treat them as person substitutes. Americans have visited graves and grave markers, spoken to them, cried on them, clung to them, anointed them, and been photographed with them. Grave markers then, and these are my words, are revered. Mm -hmm. To see them piled in a trash heap sticking out of a hillside, half buried, jutted out at odd angles, creates, for me anyway, a range of emotions. Me too. And I wrote in this paper, any of which can be witnessed in the comments following uh, my blog post. You know, we, I see right. horror, disgust, pain, sorrow, helplessness, anger, resentment, and even sometimes approval, which is very strange. But um, there's a there's a a science fiction author named William Gibson who uh, would say, uh, "I feel some emotion there might there might not be a name for." And and to look at these stones and to know the history, you know, I think that's that's a really apt quote. Right. Uh, because I I can't really put it all into words, even though I've tried for years. <laughs> Right. And that's, I guess I have had the same thing during this episode of just, huh, I don't know quite the right word for this. And I thought that Ms. Stott did say it so well. I mean, that's, that is the place people go to and they have been anointed with people's tears and heard all of their, their pain and their stories and Right. And, and their lives. And, and if, and if the stones disappear, you know, the, availability you know disappears and yes you know these these descendants no longer have anything um you know a headstone is a very concrete uh, reminder it's evidence of a person's existence and if that disappears you know then a, a lot more disappears right and i think there's some of us who do see that you know we don't just look across a graveyard or a cemetery and just go oh it's a bunch of rocks with names on it like you literally look at it and say you know a mother kneeled next to this little grave with a sorry I'm getting emotional but you know this little lamb and that was her sorrow I know exactly what you mean I when I when I first started uh, doing cemetery photography I focused this is like 20 started about 25 years ago I um, I focused mainly on photographing the the angels uh, because there were a lot of them were unique you know I do love the angels Ed I take lots of <laughs> angel photos myself and, and they're they're beautiful carvings and I would photograph them in black and white I would have shows in galleries and uh, a lot of people bought these they were very popular and, and to your point um, I, I had this woman come up to me um, telling me why she was buying this particular photograph of this angel. And I, I really wasn't prepared for this early on. People would buy this and it was great. It was kind of like, you know, it was positive experience. You know, I would right. create, you know, a single edition artwork, you know, they would pay me. Everybody was happy, but I wasn't prepared for people telling me why they were buying the photographs and 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 that went on for years and it was very unnerving um and i never solicited that i never asked people 
Um, but I remember vividly this one woman saying, I, in fact, I think she bought two. She bought um, two large 16 by 20 prints and the show was over and I delivered them to her. And she said to me, as she's handing me the check, she says, I really love these. They remind me of the angel um, over my son's burial spot. Mm. And not only that, but she said something like my 10-year-old son's burial spot. You just don't know what to say. You know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm glad people find meaning in the work, but I, I was just never prepared for that kind of meaning. Right. So, yeah, I, I appreciate your story. And, you know, don't, don't, don't feel bad about letting the tears flow. I'll have to say, at almost every cemetery I visit, and I visit a lot of cemeteries, and it's a passion, and I, I shed a lot of tears at these cemeteries. I'm, I'm very sensitive, and there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of energy and feeling, and, and so, yeah, just that, that feeling of all of those stones just being thrown away you know into the river just really hit me in a way that I didn't expect and I'm just really grateful that you were willing to come and tell us about it today and tell about the story well it has been my pleasure I appreciate your time and uh, your attention thank you so much thank you so much I just really appreciate it and would love to have you on anytime. Well, thanks again. Yeah, anytime you have a good story, just call me. <laughs> I have so many emotions after this interview. Comment on our blog or social media and let me know what you thought about this. Ed said during the interview, quote, learning to be more respectful of the dead should help us be more respectful of the living of ourselves, unquote. That's pretty much the sum of this episode, learning to be respectful of our dead and of their monuments. And that's why we love to go to cemeteries, to show that respect, to show the love and honor to the people that have gone before us. Something to think about. Thanks for joining us. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones bones and shadows podcast.com also don't forget to check us out on facebook like us on instagram follow us on twitter and leave us a comment we love to hear from our listeners Not. He goes over and over a little.